Nicolas Cage is an actor whose career has just been filled with iconic roles and lines. This man is an enigma. But perhaps his most famous, well-known line? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. In this episode, we'll talk about National Treasure, National Treasure Book of Secrets, and get a bit into the future of this historical franchise. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 307 of Waiting in the Sky with TJ Starman. This is a fun one. I'm very excited to talk about National Treasure, a movie that I have memories of, of sitting in the theater as a, as a kid and really enjoying, really having a lot of fun with, and I can still go back to that movie today and just feel pretty much the same way. Um, so National Treasure, National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets, is one that I, I'm not quite as attached to. I don't have that emotional attachment to uh, from you know my time as a, as a child, but I still really enjoy that movie as well. So uh, having the chance to talk about the National Treasure franchise um, with the Disney Plus series uh, releasing at the same time on the same day as this episode, I believe, uh, December 15th on Disney Plus, I think we're getting the first two episodes of uh, that series. Uh, just a great excuse for me to talk about National Treasure. And I, I didn't really need an excuse to do it, but Disney gave me one and here we are. Uh, so to help me talk about this amazing franchise led by one of Hollywood's uh, just most iconic leading men, Nicolas Cage, is uh, Daryl from the Cage Rage podcast. Now, this is a podcast that has documented all of the filmography of Nicolas Cage. At this point, is completely caught up on Cage's filmography, and it amounts to 100 episodes, culminating with the most recent film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which itself is a sort of a commentary on, on Nicolas Cage's career. Um, so very, very thematic, a very just great place for, for that podcast to wind up at episode 100. Um, it was great sitting down and talking with Daryl. He uh, obviously is very knowledgeable about Nicolas Cage, um, really has an appreciation for the man's career. And, and I also loved uh, you know some of the perspective he was able to offer um, as someone in the United Kingdom that can uh, give their well, give the, his perspective at least. I won't say he speaks for everyone, but uh, looking at the National Treasure franchise, which is so rooted in American history. Um, so we got a little bit of that in there as well. Um, but without further ado, let's jump into that conversation about National Treasure Nicolas Cage with Daryl of the Cage Rage podcast. All right. So. Daryl, thank you so much for being here. I am excited to talk again about Nicolas Cage. I actually did have a Nicolas Cage episode in the last season of our podcast, but um, I'm sure you would agree with me that there can never be too much Nick Cage. I mean, you're saying this to a man who's currently caught up on Nick Cage, so I may have to technically differ, but the answer is no, there is never enough Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, no, it, Caught Up is 100 episodes covering the full filmography of Nicolas Cage, which I, I keep thinking of the, um, 
the episode of Community. I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, where Abed joins the class that that is trying to determine whether or not Nicolas Cage is a good actor and loses his mind. And I'm, I'm very concerned for you, is, is the point I'm making. <laughs> I was lost in the cage sauce a long time ago. Don't fear for me. <laughs> well, it, it's incredibly impressive, uh, as I've now mentioned to you multiple times, uh, now off air and on air. Um, and I'm always looking for like the authority of a, of a subject to join me on the podcast and someone who's very passionate and knowledgeable. And I think you certainly fit the bill with regard to Nicolas Cage. So I am very happy to have you joining me and to be digging into um, two of his films that I I really enjoy and to, to varying levels. But I want to, before we shift gears into that, I want to just ask you, where, where did this drive and this desire to put out a Nicolas Cage podcast come from? I feel like many podcasts in the last two to three years, it was uh, uh, born of boredom in the pandemic, uh, much like a lot of others. I think I was, wasn't working at the time. Obviously, uh, COVID had shut a lot of things down, so um spent a lot of time in the house. I had a microphone, um, and I'm someone who can get like, weirdly like like uh, obsessed with like one thing for about two weeks, then move on to the next thing, and this kind of idea stuck with me. Um, I thought, oh, it'll be a bit of fun. I'll probably end up packing this up by about five episodes. Uh, and to my surprise, I quite enjoyed <laughs> the challenge of watching Nicolas Cage movies. And I do genuinely think he's a brilliant actor as well. You know, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one of these people who uh, is an ironic Cage fan. And I know who you are out there. I know the ironic Cage fans. I, I, I've weeded you out before and I will continue to do so until my last breath. Um, but I think he's genuinely fascinating, um, like a, a passionate, talented actor. He's a man who on my podcast I call the golden hog of Hollywood um, because he's, you know, he's the prized beast who keeps on giving uh, to the to the farmers of the land, us, the viewers. And now here we sort of are, uh, in, uh, you know, coming towards the end of 2022. Um, and it's a very weird thing to say that you've watched every Nicolas Cage movie. Um one one of the few the few boasts of my early thirties I can make. So here we are, and now we're just waiting for more films. But getting to revisit some films as well because it's always I still find it baffling that people will reach out to ask me to talk about Nicolas Cage on their podcasts, as you very kindly have. So you know I will now be forever solidified in the audio um, <laughs> rivers of history as a Nicolas Cage guy, which I'm very very happy with. By the way, honestly, you deserve some sort of plaque at the very least, and. <laughs> I, I've got to say, like, it had to have been so much fun to have episode 100 be the unbearable weight of massive talent and just how meta that movie is. Sure, for sure. It was, um, you know, couldn't have planned it when the podcast started, but to have that be episode 100 and, like, the current ending point, um, a very Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage movie to sort of finish on until the new batch of Cage movies come out, it's, uh, you know, some things write themselves. Honestly, and uh, sometimes the golden hog himself looks down and he uh, he casts good fortune on his most worthy. <laughs> so if, if you continue on this track of one cage movie a season, one a year, then in about 100 years, you too will be where I am and feel this uh, the, uh, the bright warming light of true cage nirvana, as I call it. <laughs> there you go. So I have a new goal to strive for. I'll definitely keep that one in the back of my mind. But I, I want to talk about, obviously, National Treasure. 
And uh, so the first movie came out 2004. And for anyone who, who is somehow unfamiliar with this film, Nick Cage stars as Benjamin Gates, a uh, descendant of, and correct me, wherever I, I misstep, because I'm trying to pull this out of nowhere, um, a descendant of essentially treasure hunters, or I believe they prefer treasure protectors, in, is the line in the movie, dating back to uh, the, the founding of the United States and sort of holding the, the secrets of a uh, massive treasure uh, that has dated back to far beyond then, actually. Does, does that all sound accurate? I'm following you so far. You've, 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 you've caught my attention. I'm here. I'm still with it. <laughs> Does that sound like a movie that you would watch? You know, this is, this is kind of the thing, you know, we, you sort of ask, like, I guess any Brit, like, do you, like just off the bat, do you have an interest in American history? And they'll probably be like, um, NFL, um, <laughs> or just not know what you're talking about. But th I think this for the non-American out there, the non-US citizen, um, it's still a really engaging film, and, and you're like, yeah, I want to know all about this mysterious American treasure. So it did something, right? I'll give it that. Yeah, no, that that is definitely an interesting. I have to say, I, I'm very glad to have your perspective on that because it is very rooted in like American history, in the same way that listeners of my podcast know that we did a breakdown of the Assassin's Creed franchise, and Assassin's Creed is a video game series that that loves history and Assassin's Creed 3 in particular was about the the American Revolution and and that sort of thing and what they did what they always do in those games is they just kind of reference historical figures and, and they give them cameos essentially and and that's what this reminds me of when I go back and revisit National Treasure is the way they're just like you know referencing different historical events and historical figures and not giving them a literal cameo on screen, but like it's Benjamin Franklin's, you know, magic glasses that that are the key to unlocking this treasure, that type of thing. Sure. I mean, I guess for the game fans, this is kind of like it's like Uncharted, but without the parkour. Um, it is kind of the way I was I was sort of viewing it through. And I I got to rewatch the first one again today. Um and I I think um, if Nicolas Cage was sort of assassins creeding his way up buildings or, you know, just running down an exploding plane or something, then this would have made at least $2 billion, I think. Um, but you can't, you know, <laughs> you, know you can't have everything. You know, you, the budgets have to come in for a reason. But, you know, we, we hold out hope for a National Treasure 3. We'll get uh, the Cage it's Drake. So, it's so funny because, Daryl, I have uh, the IMDb page pulled up as we're talking. And... It's got like this autoplay of various trailers going on. And right now we see uh, Nicolas Cage is, is running through the like the graveyard in D.C. And he's just kind of sauntering through it, at the same time that you're, you know, comparing him to Nathan Drake. And I uh, just love that juxtaposition of ideas. <laughs> he's uh, he's the people's Nathan Drake. Uh, not not Tom Holland, not Tom Holland. Nicolas Cage was right there 20 years ago when we needed him most. Yeah, you know what? It, everyone was was on that Nathan Fillion train for a while, but I think we we really did miss that low hanging fruit, which was Nicolas Cage as Nathan Drake. I f I find that <laughs> most of Hollywood's problems can be solved by casting Nicolas Cage, but uh, you know what do I know? I'm just an insane man in a room with a microphone. What do I know? <laughs> well, 
so I, I love this movie and I think it hit me at the right time. Cause I was, I was a kid, I was uh, 10 years old when this came out. And I think that means a Disney movie. So always have uh, children in mind as, as the audience, but this was like it at the time it, it hit me as like, Oh, this isn't, you know, a cartoon Disney movie. This is like a, you know, this is my version of an adult action film, but again, for a 10 year old. And, and I think it was perfect in, in, in that regard. And it's actually a movie that I have grown to appreciate more and more as I revisit it. Um, what was your, when were you initially um, exposed to this film and kind of what was the journey you've been on with it since? Well, it must have been around the mid 2000s, because I'm sure there was a point, um, especially with TV as well, like for us in the UK, that America would get everything, everything like weeks, months, sometimes even like years before we even touched it. So I'm sure it must have been around that time. Um, but I always remember enjoying National Treasure, and I think most people will probably say that the first one is better than the second one. And I think for the past sort of 20 years as well, whenever I've watched it, and I think I've probably seen it, five or six times now over the years. It's a film that always holds up. Um, you can say, like, the fashion aside um, and the sort of <laughs> slightly outdated technology. Who uses Yahoo anymore? Aside from that, it's it's always a lot of fun. Like, the, the movie just moves at, like, a nice pace. And even though you sort of, you know, you, it's a very defined good guy versus bad guy thing, it's always a lot of fun to watch. It's one of those films that you're always happy to sit down and watch for two hours. And certainly for me as well, I mean, I can't, I mean, I think by the time this came out, I must have been about 14, 15 when this came out. Over the years, I've sort of found even flight friends of mine who would be either Cage ambivalent or maybe not even really a fan of like Nicolas Cage. National Treasure is one of like the few film films that will say, I don't like Nicolas Cage, but I do like National Treasure. There's just something um, so appealing about this film. There's so much like enjoying this film. It's just a good old fashioned like adventure. And I don't think you can go too wrong with that. I, I agree. I think this genre is, is a really fun one. This, I mean, for it's basically just a treasure hunt genre as a whole. And it is very, I think it's, it's more of a crowd pleaser than a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. It's very like just sort of universally appealing, like, like you say. And it, I think it's just fun because you feel like you're sort of along for the ride mm. in, in the way that like you're jumping from city to city and, and these different situations. And that's basically, you know, you're just taking uh, Benjamin Gates and you're just plopping him down in, in different scenarios and just kind of watching it play out. And I, I love that about this. I, I think it's a genre that's probably underserved. Um, in all honesty, because I, I think about, and this is a little bit of a tease for an upcoming episode, but I think about the murder mystery genre and how that's kind of getting a resurgence with um, the the response to Knives Out. And then we now have the Knives Out sequel. I think this is another like sort of niche genre that could really um, benefit from some, some, some new people exploring it. And we'll get into the, the TV series later on, but I just think that at the time, this was such a, a fresh take. It was unique. It was fun, um, but interesting. It was just this perfect blend of a, of a Nicolas Cage slash Disney recipe for for a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
especially like with it being, if you look at sort of the box office as well, I think especially for the first one, if my historic notes are anything to go by, um, it made like just shy of 350 million at the box office. So this was, this did really well by all accounts. And I believe it beat out the SpongeBob SquarePants movie in The Incredibles as well. Like 11 million its opening weekend. So Cage One, SpongeBob Nil, you stay in the ocean where you belong, you little freak. But it's, it, it's an enduring movie, like I say. I think it, it's still a lot of fun. It's, I guess it's got that sort of classic Disney um, uh, thing about it where you, you can you watch it as a child and then you introduce it to their children and they introduce it to their children. And it's one of those enduring movies that will certainly, I feel, will definitely stand the test of time as well. Um, and like we say, you can't, you can't really go wrong with like a globe-trotting um, adventure treasure hunting film it's just it's just like a good time there's not too much to dislike all the characters as we say are clearly defined and they just touch one you said like ben gates is one of these characters who you could drop him into pretty much uh any scenario in the world where it comes to like oh there is a treasure map there is a a secret thing um and him and his you know his his merry old gang will find it and obviously we've got the joy of like uh, a character like riley pool as well who is uh, basically the surrogate for the audience asking what's going on why are you experts why do you sound happy yeah. all the time i don't like it so <laughs> uh, justice for riley paul especially only getting like one thing right about daylight savings in the film as well no i love i love that moment because i always come back to that every time um when we just we just did have daylight savings time and changing the clocks um a couple weeks ago and I always come back to that scene. And, and I think I walked in to work the next day and I was like, do you know who the first person to suggest daylight savings time was? And, and I always have to drop that every time. <laughs> We've all got to have some go-to trivia. Um, and, if, and if daylight savings is your trivia, then I absolutely respect it. Yeah. And, and if I, I just left everyone on a cliffhanger there, it was Benjamin Franklin who suggested daylight savings time, which I'm so sorry. Ben Franklin, we are going to do away with that next year. So <laughs> we're going to lose a little bit of relevance, I suppose, in this movie as a result of that. But um, I do think we'll, it'll carry on. The legacy of this movie, I love that you talked about it being passed down like generation to generation, which is it's very on theme for, for this one. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the real treasure all along, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll save you listeners trying to figure it out. There's no sort of clues or riddles here. The real treasure was Nicolas Cage all along, and he will out. I've said it from day <laughs> one on my podcast, he will outlive us all. I, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that, in all honesty, for Nicolas Cage to just be, he's, he'll be the true torchbearer from uh, society to society until the end of time. Um, and and I, I think we'd, we'd be remiss to not touch on the rest of the cast here, some of the standouts, obviously. Um, so Justin Bartha as Riley Poole, who you mentioned. Um, Diane Kruger plays Abigail Chase, who is a, a love interest with some, some depth uh, to her character, which I don't think was always a given at this point in time. Um, but I really appreciated the way that they wrote her character, um, able to carry her own with... Ben, who is supposed to be this, you know, otherworldly um, historian, and she's right there with him. John Voight um, plays this part, I think, wonderfully as this sort of 
you know, parent that that's reluctantly along for the ride and is like half bitter, half concerned for the safety of his son. Um, and then, uh, of course, everyone's favorite, Sean Bean, unfortunately, does not make it out of this one. And no one could have suspected that. Oh, Sean Bean, one of the uh, the sons of the North um, from Sheffield. I'm based in Leeds, so Sheffield's like the rival town, basically. But he's just one of those actors who's just synonymous with like British TV and obviously synonymous with dying on screen as well. So he gets arrested. Unfortunately, you know, I think this is one of the few films where he doesn't die. I think by this point with his oh, cinematography yeah. this was, he died over 20 times on screen at this point so i know this must have been a challenging role for, to take for him as the role of an alive person <laughs> the role of an alive person yeah and i totally i, I was mixing things up but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment here but I, I i did actually want to touch about his character because i think especially when we compare it to um Book of Secrets, his antagonist role is interesting because it's not like, I mean, as someone who was a Bond villain, like he's very much not a Bond villain in this. He's, you know, he's just like a rival that's after the same prize. He's just much more cutthroat and willing to do anything versus Ben, Nicolas Cage's character, who is much more, you know, like the history itself is sacred. And it's not just about finding this treasure. It's about preserving all of this history on your way to finding the treasure. And so I think it, it's the way that they did that and made it that the, like the rival treasure hunters and not like Ian is, is just trying to kill Ben because he's an obstacle in his way uh, was, was an interesting take. And it's something that I appreciate now, despite the fact that like, like you said, Daryl, it is still very good guy versus bad guy. just not, that they're like you know waging war against each other type of way does that make sense yeah yeah it's it's not like that um that any of them are necessarily like good guy for the sake of being good guy and bad guy for the sake of being bad guy because obviously they're working together with a mutual interest but um it all comes down to that drastic declaration of independence which you americans love so much you know once upon a time we owned you so obviously a sore point for any british person watching but so it just obviously just comes down to, you know, they disagree on how it is that they need to proceed going forward. They both realise that they need to get to the Declaration of Independence, but one's like, oh, we should probably, you know, do it sneaky. And then Sean Bean's like, let's blow up America. <laughs> so, you know, um, and who and who of us mortals hasn't had a disagreement like that with our, with our peers at some point in the past? It's a very understandable sort of origin point but again i think it's a thing for like um uh anytime british people sort of see sean bean on screen like i said either he's he's some absolute hero of a man or he's a complete villain and he's going to die so we see him come on screen and we think all right sean what are you up to this time we we know what you're all about i think if you're okay with his work that you kind of know he's going to be a villain but like I say, it's just kind of it's kind of the the brains versus not so much brawn, but kind of like resources. It's you know Ben and his smarts and his team versus a person with infinite resources who is also smart as well. So it's not that he has like a massive backstory or arc or anything. You know, it's a children's adventure film or a family adventure film. He doesn't need to have an in depth backstory. Uh, what they do with him works. It's just like 
okay, well, I've tried to kill you at the start of the film, therefore this is my narrative line now, um, and I'm going to be the antagonist for this. And also, you know, anyone who's running around wearing a suit with, like, slick back blonde hair, always going to be bad news. It was always going to be bad news. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're, you're bad news and or a hockey player. So, exactly. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're watching uh, D2, The Mighty Ducks, then probably both. You know, it's it's easy to do. It's very easy to do. And hockey is obviously a thing that um, we definitely have over here. So references, everyone. Um, I've heard they play on <laughs> on dirt. Is it dirt hockey? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, dirt hockey, which this is a quick aside. I, I think this is hilarious because at, at the time we're recording this, and this is, this is opening day of uh, the World Cup, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. So just the juxtaposition, that that's a thing I'm not even sure is going on, but I think is. And to me, um, you know, recording outside of Chicago, it's just Bears Sunday NFL football. So <laughs> the juxtaposition of sports here that uh, everyone was was uh, not expecting in the Nicolas Cage National Treasure episode. <laughs> this is the thing with Nicolas Cage, expect the unexpected because anything can and will happen. And, and I'm going to take that as, as a nice little segue, because I think in, in watching just the trailers that, are, like I said, are auto-playing on IMDb right now, I totally forgot that uh, we also have a, a very small role. Playing in a very small role is Eric King from, uh, from Dexter. And if you're not familiar with him, Richard is going to add in a, uh, his most famous clip right here. Surprise, motherfucker. Well, there's, there's a few and, f little famous faces that pop up in this you know the surprise motherfucker man um mark pellegrino pops up as an fbi agent mm -hmm. um there's i can't think of his name at the top of my head but like right at the start of the movie in the flashback like the coach boy he's like that guy from hannah montana i think oh oh is it uh jason earl is yes that, uh, that's see. his name the guy who you thought was supposed to be playing like a, a five-year-old but was 40 the whole time Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jason Ells is right at the start as the coach boy. And I was like, oh, I, yeah. mm -hmm. I know your face. Where do I know your face from? Yeah, that was very uh, Disney pulling from their, their pool of Disney actors. The Disney pool. You never know when you're going to get called up. <laughs> and of course, uh, you also have Christopher Plummer from the opening scene and uh, Harvey Keitel uh, as the FBI agent. Uh, I, forever, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sadusky? I think it's um, But yeah, no, a lot of recognizable names and or faces in this one. Padira, any any last thoughts on, on National Treasure before we, we jump to the sequel? I mean, again, it's uh, the, the National Treasure film. It, like, it's weird to think that it's, you know, coming up to 20 years since National Treasure released. And again, I think when we talk about it in the context of the Nicolas Cage filmography, um, is it necessarily going to be anyone's favourite, favourite Nicolas Cage film? I don't think so, but I think justifiably many people might find it in their top tens um, because because it's so um, so easy to watch, it's so relatable. I remember when I looked into this episode, I think there was something on the DVD with the director John Turtle saying the original rough cut of National Treasure was supposed to be about four hours long. So to this day I say, release the Turtle Tab cut, you cowards. I want another hour and a half of Cage. I think the only other interesting fact I saw was like, uh, and there was a press tour where uh, Cage was saying that he and co-star Dan Kruger, they bonded by going out and singing karaoke. And he's quoted as saying, 
Uh, I think it was Rage Against the Machine, ACDC, and some Sex Pistols. So, honestly, incredible <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's... I. Speaking of trivia, I, I love that. I, I didn't know that, and, and I'm going to hold on to that that bit of trivia for, for a while now. Yeah, no, I, I think exactly like you're saying, uh, very, very easy to watch, and I think that was something that carried over into the sequel. I, I think I missed this one in its initial run, whereas I, I did see the first movie in the theater. I, I think... Book of Secrets was one that I came back to probably a year or two after its release, where I was just kind of like, now I was probably in junior high, high school, and I'm like, oh, hey, there's a second National Treasure. I should probably watch this. And I, I think they did a good job of uh, keeping the same tone, and it just feels like a natural progression of the story, but they kind of looked at the first one, and they were like, hey, this worked. It, it turned out really well. Let's just do that again. And they and they kind of did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was very much a case of, you know, you've got the formula here. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and in terms of the writers and directors, John Turtletaub returned to direct, um, and John Turtletaub also helmed um, another Nicolas Cage film, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I think he did Cool Runnings as well, uh, more recently with Jason Statham, The Meg. And they had the same people behind the screenplay, uh, Cormac and Marianne Wibberley, the uh, the wonderful Wibberleys, as I call them, who are just this um, this married couple who have just been behind a number of just like ridiculous films in the two thousands. National Treasure one and two. Uh, there was another Nick Cage film, G Force, in which he voiced a star nosed mole. They also wrote Bad Boys two. They're just this like old white couple who wrote Bad Boys two, which is ridiculous, <laughs> but they've just pumped out. <laughs> some like really good movies and i think they're working on the new national treasure series as well so in theory on paper tonally it should be pretty consistent with the movies as well if if anyone is worried about what the uh what shape the tv show is going to look like yeah no, that's i mean that's quite the filmography the body of work there that that's very interesting i i so i watched this one last night um because I've definitely watched this one a lot less than the first one, but I I enjoyed it. I, th I think it, I don't I don't know that I like it as much, but I, I do like it. And I thought it was a lot of fun, especially because I I think at this time, I the story from the first one has kind of, I've watched it so many times. It's, it's like just second nature to me. I know every plot point. It is nice to kind of mix this one in there uh, on occasion to, to keep me guessing a little bit more. I don't know all the answers to the clues every time just yet. Um, and so I, I had a good time with it, rewatching it last night. A lot of the same like story elements are, are there with the treasure hunting aspect. I, it seems a little bit more self-contained, like they're not quite globetrotting as much. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, I mean, there's something about like like technically this film is absolutely fine there's something about it that um that isn't quite as good as the first one there was like a certain magic that the first one had that the second one didn't quite have so i have i didn't get a chance to sort of watch this one but i remember they tend to move around a fair bit because they're in america and then they're in like paris and then they're in uh buckingham palace and then the back to the I can't think of your American things. The faces in the wall, Mount Rushmore. That's the one. Oh, uh, yeah, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you know, they were also in um, in Virginia. I think they do a lot of stuff in DC. 
in this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they probably move around a similar amount as the first one, but it feels like they're globetrotting at a higher pace than the first one. Um, I think it felt mm. like they had a bit more budget. It's like, well, let's go, like, fuck it, let's go to France, let's see what happens. So it's fine. And obviously, you, you know, with the villain of this one, I think it's good that, you know, it sort of links to the gates passed a bit more because I think it was uh, it was Ed Harris, I think it was, who was the villain in this one. And then it's just like decades old rivalry and about um, him framing the Gates family for being behind the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think it was. So there's there's more like stakes in some senses as well. And uh, Ben's dad is back. We get to meet like his uh, mother as well. So we get more like backstory on this, which is like, which is good. There's like more stakes. Um, and obviously his mother, Emily Appleton Gates, played by Helen Mirren, is in this. So the cast is slightly bigger. The stakes are slightly higher. So it's 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 a perfectly good sequel. Like I say, you know, it carries on the uh, the momentum of the first film and what was established there as well. Um, and then they just didn't do a third one, which we're all still, 15 years later, still very, very sad about. Yeah, it... Because they did kind of, it was still very formulaic. If you take a step back and look, like, the first one was about Ben Gates trying to, you know, restore his family's legacy, or I guess to build it up at at that point, um, because they're all looked down at as, like, crazy people that believed in this treasure that didn't exist. And so it's about redeeming his family name, and they carry over that theme. I think it was interesting. It um, Ed Harris, his his antagonist, Mitch Wilkinson, I think he's a bit more com- complicated than Sean Bean's character in the first one. Um, his motivations are he he wants he doesn't necessarily want the the treasure. He wants his name in history as you know the one who found the treasure, and he's like it was not a plot to you know like he didn't fake that the Gates family was involved in the assassination of, of Abraham Lincoln. He, that's just what he was led to believe based on the facts that were presented to him, the story that was passed down to him through his family and the evidence that he had, which was this burnt piece uh, from, uh, I think John Wilkes Booth's uh, diary that had Thomas Gates' name on it. So I think a little bit more of a complicated antagonist, which I appreciated. It wasn't quite so um, good guy, bad guy though. I mean, he's still in the same way that that Sean Bean's character was like willing to, uh, you know, threaten to kill people like he was doing that as well. But the motivation wasn't quite as like, you know, I'm just a greedy guy and I'm going to throw everyone under the bus um, to get what I want necessarily. I appreciate that. Ed Harris is, is an inter- is a good actor and I think he he did a good job in that role. So that was one of the things that stood out to me comparing the two. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, you know, Sean Bean's role in the first one's quite black and white. It's quite just easily definable. You don't need to do that much more with it because it works for the film. And obviously, as we're saying here, um, Ed Harris's character, um, much more of a complex uh, villain. And obviously going on sort of, I think a lot of this film is like the, you know, the power of history, the power of stories and such as well. But when I was sort of looking into this, um, just, just as like found some information which kind of appeals to me about this, the potential of this cage multiverse and cage films being potentially connected here. So when like um, uh, going back to 1996 is The Rock, 
there's a guy who gets his like car, his Hummer stolen by uh, Sean Connery. And in this movie, Ed Harris steals someone's car. They're both played by the same person, which means in no uncertain terms to me that the Rock and National Treasure movies exist in the same universe. Um, and also <laughs> in The Rock, Cage's character Stanley Goodspeed has access to the JFK files, which basically who actually killed JFK, as does Cage's character here. So in two movies, Nicolas Cage has found out who killed John F. Kennedy. So these movies, this universe is connected. Uh, I've got I've got the cork board behind me with all the red string connecting to the newspaper clippings and like eight by ten Polaroids. <laughs> it all adds up. It's all there, people. Do your own research. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it, that that's fascinating, and I I would love to go down that rabbit hole sometime. <laughs> the the other thing with this is, I mean, you touched on on the cast uh, with John Voight returning, Helen Mirren being added um, as the mother character, which was unnecessary, but I think certainly welcome. I think it adds a, a nice dynamic, another like emotional point as well, because there there is a point where um, it looked as though Ben Gates is going to be sacrificing himself so that his parents, his were he and Abigail married at this point? I don't even remember. And I just watched this last night. <laughs> yeah, I think between the first and the second film, they got married and divorced. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's right. And I then Treasure Fate sort of brings them back together, um, as as, as, as Treasure Fate is known to do, of course. Yeah, it, and um, Riley's there also, you know, still doing the same Riley thing, uh, the the helpful sidekick slash comic relief. Um, Justin Bartha, I think, plays that role really well. One nitpick I had with um, this sort of parallel relationship storyline between Ben and Abigail and um, Ben's parents in that they were separated and then they come back through this series of events and then, you know, rekindle their love for each other. Uh, It just seems a little too fairy tale, but I I suppose this is a Disney movie as well. So uh, we we can cut them some slack there. Yeah. Nothing saves a relationship like um, threatening both of your lives in a dungeon. You know, to tell that to all my ex-wives. <laughs> Trauma bonding. It, it's it's the key to a long-lasting relationship. I mean, if you look at the subtext of the National Treasure films, it is trauma that is really the, the hero of the pieces. You know, I think, I think in many ways, Riley is the only sort of person who comes out intact. Obviously, he gets that, there's like the Ferrari at the end of the first film, and he's sort of effectively a struggling author in this one because I think everyone keeps mistaking him <laughs> for Ben until someone finally um, he finally gets to sign a copy of his book at the end so uh, you know I think Riley is the real the real hero of the piece yeah it, it, and I think it's funny because um, the subtitle Book of Secrets I really don't know that this was the natural like subtitle because it's alluding to the the United States president's Book of Secrets, which is supposedly, I don't know if this is actually a real thing or not that that people believe, but it, at least within the movie, it, it's this idea that all American presidents have passed along this book of all of America's you know, secrets over history. And it's, a, I mean, it's a great idea to build a movie around, but I don't think they actually built the movie around that idea. It's just like one plot point in the second act and it gets called back to later on. Like, really, they probably should have called this one, like, National Treasure 2, 
I'm going to kidnap the president. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, National Treasure 2, we needed bigger stakes than the first movie. So I, I suppose it's, you know, once you've, you've as a duo, stolen the Declaration of Independence, how do you top that? Because you think about it, like, they steal the Declaration of Independence within, like, the first, what, 30, 40 minutes of the first film? So, and that's... You know, not even like the main thing about the film. That's just a plot point of something they have to do. Whereas John Voight's character yeah. will keep saying, "You just go to another clue, and then another clue, and then another clue," um, which is about <laughs> three quarters of his dialogue in the first film. So then you've, you, you've got to kidnap the president, and then obviously it's this. It's a bit of like a MacGuffin, like, oh, this is the the thing that has all the secrets. And then if you look to, uh, I think it was page forty-seven. I think that was the page that had the actual reveal of what had happened to Lincoln, if I remember correctly. Uh, but then you never actually find out what's on page 47, so that's obviously a big, been a big topic of discussion for the past uh, 15 years as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, the stakes and the way that they've, you know, they elevated it from the Declaration of Independence to the president. And, I, I mean, it seems only natural that when we do get a third film, uh, ben Gates is going to have to steal the presidential election. Uh, it's going to be very, very topical. Um, well, it's it's just the only way they can move at this point, really. Well, naturally, John Voight is going to be wearing a MAGA hat, and then Nicolas Cage is <laughs> going to be, you know, he's going to have to steal, I don't know, Bernie Sanders or something at this point to, for, the, for the grassroots treasure hunters out there. Because, um, you know... <laughs> It, it's it's sort of frustrating that you don't find out what's on page forty-seven. Um, there was a there was a, a press day for the screening, and someone asked John Turtletown what was on page forty-seven, and he said it was the plot of Star Trek. But there's speculation that it might relate to I think I had done it eighteen and a half minutes of conversations recorded from the Watergate tapes. It could be a mystery about George Washington at Mount Vernon. It could be about other secret societies. So, you know, it's just spin the wheel of American mythology and, you know, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theories and just throw a dart on it. And that's probably what's on for page 47. Yeah, it, it it seems like it's, you know, just this mysterious MacGuffin. It was never really put like written out. Like you said, it sounds like it's just whatever you want it to be kind of thing. And I, I don't know, like, it, it, I don't mind it that they didn't answer it if they you know, in the series they reference it, or if, if we get a third film and they come out and, and talk about it or address it directly, I would love it. But do I need that? Probably not. No, I, I mean, it just makes me think that they'll just be like the end of an episode in the TV series. So like, also on page 47 was, and then it cuts to credits. I'm going to, I will bet all of my, my treasure hunted doubloons on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so... To, to kind of summarize this one again for for anyone you know, it's been a, a couple of years since you've watched it or, or if you have no interest in really watching it but want to want to hear the general take of what it is it, it, it's basically the first movie as we've said except for ben's ancestor has now been accused of being involved in in the plot to assassinate abraham lincoln um really what was happening is that he was being used for his code deciphering skills by that group to try and hunt down this second uh, large treasure of American history. And essentially, they now go down this rabbit hole where they are finding this treasure that is an Olmec treasure, I believe, that was... I don't know where it was actually at. Was it Was it 
in. I know Mount Rushmore was built as a cover-up. That was one of the fun lines in this. Mount Rushmore was a cover-up to try and hide the treasure. But I don't know if it was actually like in those mountains. Yes, it is. As I <laughs> again, the IMDB page is clutch because as I was saying that, it just flashed the entrance to this cavern where the treasure was right behind uh the faces on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, the mysterious American city of gold. Because where else would it be than in front of Mount Rushmore? Gold Rushmore. Notably, right? it's not El Dorado. It's it's not. Because that would be in some place other than the United States. That would be in South America. But it has to be this American treasure. It's called the Dorado for all you all you history <laughs> history nerds out there. So yeah, it's it, I think it, it was very formulaic. It did try to one-up itself in some ways. But you get all the main cast returning. You get some other interesting faces we already mentioned. Helen Mirren, uh, Bruce Greenwood plays... Um, the president in this, uh, Ty Burrell has a really small role, I think, as like a CIA or Secret Service guy um, from Modern Family. But it's another one where you, you'll recognize some faces. And uh, I think I think well done. I think it deserves to be in the same you know conversation as the first one. Um, but admittedly, it, it wasn't quite as fresh. Um, and so that's the only thing really that probably knocks it a couple points uh, in my book. Yeah, I I would very much agree. Like I say, it's it's more of the same, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And obviously, you know, they tried to add some depth to sort of the Gates family, um, you know, which is absolutely fine. Um, largely, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Thing. I think one of the few things I take exception with, I think for both movies, um, is that you know, and I always say it's a mud pipe my podcast. This is if you take these kind of things into consideration, because ultimately, if you enjoy a movie, that's the most important thing. Uh, but Rotten Tomatoes, last time I checked, and it could have changed since, but last time I had it, they had the first National Treasure at 46% and National Treasure to it 36%. Um, I, I think they deserve a little bit more than that. I think the judge, are they silly plots? Yes, but they're fun and they're, you know, you can just forget yourself for a few hours. And then um, with the, the Razzies as well, this is kind of a point of contention I'd had on my podcast. For about 10 straight years, they've been trying to hit Nicolas Cage with the worst actor nomination for like a consecutive period of 2007 to 2017. He was nominated by them in some form. This was no exception. He got a 2008 worst actor, collectively judged on this National Treasure 2, Ghost Rider, and next. Um, he did lose out to Eddie Murphy for his role in Norbit. But I think... <laughs> Uh, you know, they had, uh, for lack of a better term, something of a hard-on for him for a while. He never won it. I think he's probably the most nominated Razzie act that's never won it, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But they've mostly just been hating on Sylvester Stallone and Eddie Murphy for a long time. And thankfully, in more recent years, Nicolas Cage has sort of been out of their crosshairs. They've let him go. But, you know, whenever I think of this film, I just think that in those 2000s, you know, there was a target on his back. And I wish there was more that I could have done. Yeah, I, I mean, they just need to leave the man alone. Uh, he, I, I mean, those three films, like, I think this is by far his best performance <laughs> compared to the other two. I mean, Ghost Rider, I feel like, was up and down throughout the own film, and the next was just ridiculous. So, I don't know. I don't, You've done, obviously, 100 episodes on, on this, so uh, I'll yield to your knowledge and expertise 
uh, on all things cage performances. Um, but the reason we're even talking about this is because not only do we have the National Treasure Edge of History series coming to Disney+, Plus, um, I believe at the same time that this episode is releasing, they're going to drop the first two episodes of that show. And then in August of this year, um, we had producer Jerry Bruckheimer, um, who was being interviewed after the release of Top Gun Maverick, I actually confirmed that there is a script written for National Treasure 3. And I believe that that Nick Cage kind of teased a, a potential return to the role as well um, recently too. Mm. So it, it seems like this, this is probably going to be happening. Well, maybe, hopefully. I mean, I will say as well that, you know, I'm kind of, I sort of take a step back on, on a National Treasure 3 because it's been heavily rumoured for, for as long as we haven't had a National Treasure 3. For about 15 years, it's been some form of development hell or rumoured or it was, there's been, I think there's been about a script for, for about as long as well, 15 years, but it just never happened. Uh, Cage has always said that he's wanting to do National Treasure 3. I think he, I think he quite likes doing these kind of um, uh, adventurous sort of family-friendly films. But obviously we're getting... Uh, the National Treasure TV series, Edge of History, obviously focusing on a younger cast. Now, allegedly, Nicolas Cage is, will be reprising his role in a greenlit second season. Apparently, they tried to get him for the first season, but they couldn't. But obviously, they had Justin Bartha coming back as Riley Paul, Harvey Keitel back as Peter Sadusky. So if you get those sort of characters, I think it's only a matter of time that Cage was going to come along as well. And he has been dipping his toe into more TV recently. He doesn't do a lot of TV, but, you know, we're, we're seeing more of the TV side of Cage these days as well. So I feel like he's going to show up in the TV series first. It'll probably lead to National Treasure 3. Then we're going to get the National Treasure Cinematic Universe and then more spin-offs. But I think what, I think what <laughs> they've been missing for the last 20 years, uh, make a National Treasure escape room. You cowards, it's right there for the taking. Oh yes, absolutely. That that is that is a brilliant idea. I love that. It's money. It's money to be made, and Disney. I will uh, accept my check whenever you're ready to give it to me. <laughs> that is very. That is easy money. That is should be at every Disney park and across the country. Let's let's, let's just open it up to everyone. You know, it's it's everyone's treasure. Well, uh, Nicholas Cage is everyone's treasure. Well, this is it, and the fact that the uh, at the Disney parks in Orlando there isn't an actor dressed. As Nicholas Cage, Ben Gates, with his sort of backwards Nicholas Cage hair, walking round with a Declaration of Independence, is <laughs> is 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 a travesty. He's one of the biggest travesties of a uh, Disney's Disney's history. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that was such a natural fit. I lo- I really do love that idea. But no, you hit you hit on it. So Justin Bartha is returning. Um, he's credited for all ten episodes of the first season here. So it looks like he plays a, an important role um, in the series. And I actually didn't know about uh, Nicolas Cage's involvement in a second season, but that would be, uh, I, obviously I'd take that in a heartbeat and w- would love to see a third film. But, you know, if that's all we get of Ben Gates' involvement in a second season of the show, beggars can't be choosers. So I'd, I'd be happy with that for sure. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, th- I think they're trying to keep very quiet about Nicolas Cage's involvement, as certainly in the first season. 
I don't think he's... If he shows up at all, I think it won't be till the very last episode of the first season. That's what my cage radar sense is telling me. Because um, I think, obviously, you know, everyone this day and age associates National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. It's a, a franchise he's very well known for. And obviously, when it was announced, the first question people were asking was, is Nicolas Cage going to be in the TV show? Does this mean National Treasure 3? I think there was a Comic Con panel where I think someone had said they tried to reach him, but he, he couldn't, he wouldn't do it. And then before that, Nicholas Cage just said that he'd never been contacted. So there was a little inconsistency in um, whether or not we would get some Cage. But I have a feeling that if he's going to show up at all season one, it's going to be some kind of cliffhanger thing at the end of episode like 10 or whatever it is. Yeah, it, it, he essentially is just Luke Skywalker in The Force Awakens. He's just going to be referenced repeatedly. And then at the very end, the, the last scene of, of this first season, um, someone's just going to walk up to him. They're going to they're gonna hand him the Declaration of Independence, and he's going to toss it off a bridge. <laughs> and we're going to roll credits. He's going he's gonna to stand atop the uh, Statue of Liberty and watch as American Burns. That's, that's going to be the final image of the <laughs> National Treasure uh, series. Mark my words. And it, I think that would be lovely. Any again, any involvement from Nicolas Cage in this is is going to be just so welcome. Uh, so I'm really hoping we end up seeing it. Daryl, thank you again for for joining me for this episode. This, this was so much fun. I I think you were. I, I had no doubts, but now it's it's all been confirmed one thousand percent. You were the perfect person to bring on to talk about uh, these wonderful works of Nicolas Cage and uh sort of the future of this historical series and um where where i know you you're caught up on on cage now uh for the podcast but uh what else have you been working on is there anything that we can plug for you while while we got you uh well thank you again for uh inviting me uh very very happy to be here a lot of fun discussing cage uh always a pleasure never a chore um you can certainly find me on Pretty much the majority of the socials, mostly active on uh, Twitter. That's if it hasn't exploded by the time this episode comes out. You can find me at <laughs> cage underscore podcast and for the Nicholas Cage podcast, Cage Rage. Um, I'm on all the usual streaming platforms, uh, Instagram, I'm on TikTok. I've got a Tumblr now, which I probably won't use, but it's there. The link trees are on uh, all the usual socials. And in the future is being worked on slowly in the background, uh, but myself and a fellow Nicholas Cage podcast, Caged In, will be joining forces to work on a little series we're calling Getting Defoe You, uh, which is a, a series which we are going to look at the entire works of one of Hollywood's other notorious madmen, Willem Defoe, uh, from Heaven's Gate to the present day. So... Uh, join us over there at getting uh, Defoe you at Defoe you pod, and um, it is going to be a, a very a very maddening time because we refuse to look at sane people. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, if you are looking for a very specific, uh, you know, guest voice for an episode that their knowledge is limited to exclusively Green Goblin, uh, you let me know and, and I'll make time for it. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's what I'm. That is what I'm all about. That's the energy I'm bringing to the world, um, and literally nothing else. <laughs> well, thank you again, Daryl. Um, for the listeners, check out the description. We'll have links to everything that um, Daryl mentioned there, ready for you to click through. 
highly recommend checking that stuff out and uh, definitely consider going on the the hundred episode journey to get fully caught up on all things Nicolas Cage. Thanks again so much. So that was our conversation about Nicolas Cage and the National Treasure franchise. Uh, this is a franchise that is so much fun, and I'm very excited to see it, it getting a little bit of love from Disney and this new era of Disney with, with Disney Plus and uh, Disney just having a much more active role on in television um, through streaming. And I'm very curious to see uh, what directions they take this series. Uh, the fact that it's a, you know, a whole brand new batch of characters, it, it could go either way. For me, um, you know, I'm hoping that it is just super fresh and revitalizes um, some of the the themes and elements of the movies that we've loved but have maybe grown a bit stale or outdated. That's sort of the best case scenario, and that's what I'm hoping for. It's great to see that um, some characters, some actors are reprising their their roles as characters from those films. Uh, most notably, as we talked about, Justin Bartha as Riley Poole, um, and hopefully. Uh, if the rumors are true that there is a little bit of, of Nicolas Cage flavor at the end of this season and going into a potential second season as well. And of course, we we always want there to be a third uh, full on National Treasure film. I want to thank Daryl again for uh, joining me for this episode. Just just fantastic. The absolute authority on Nicolas Cage at this point. Go check out the Cage Rage podcast. 100 wonderful episodes about the just <laughs> national treasure himself, Nicolas Cage. Um, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Check out the links in the description of this episode uh, to see that through. In two weeks, I am hoping we're going to be talking about murder mystery movies um, i'm going to try and tie that into uh, new year's eve perhaps because that one's going to be dropping on uh, december 29th two weeks from the release of this episode uh, so stay tuned make sure you are subscribed uh, so that you can catch that episode and more if you have a moment i would ask that you please like or comment on this video on youtube or you please rate and review this podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on means a lot to me and i really appreciate it as a small podcast that is hoping to you know continue to do better one step at a time uh, but thank you so much for listening and i hope you'll stick around for more <laughs>